The Rare Patient Advocacy Summit is the can't-miss event of the year for rare disease stakeholders. The summit is the largest gathering of rare disease patients, advocates, and thought leaders worldwide. Join Global Genes October 3rd and 4th at the Hotel Irvine in Irvine, California, to take advantage of this opportunity to connect and learn from more than 100 experts in rare disease. For more information or to register, go to www.globalgenes.org forward slash 2018 summit. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. People with rare and chronic conditions often become so focused on the treatment of their physical ailments that the psychological and emotional aspects of their diseases can be neglected. Allison Fine, a clinical social worker, founded the Center for Chronic Illness in Seattle to provide professionally-led support groups to people with ongoing health challenges. We spoke to Fine about her work, the psychological toll rare conditions can take, and how these patients can go about finding the help they need. Allison, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. We're going to talk about your work as a counselor, the emotional toll chronic diseases can take on patients, and how they can go about getting the support and help they need. Let's start with the Center for Chronic Illness. How did you come to establish this? What was the need you were trying to address? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so... Uh, being a clinical social worker, I've worked with patients who live with chronic illness for the last 10 to 15 years and just sort of seen so many needs within my patients I work with in my counseling practice and other settings I've worked in, you know, emotional needs that I felt like weren't getting met even in the therapy office where people are coming to have their emotional needs met. You know, there are just these ongoing issues of um, loss and isolation and um, you know, lack of social interaction that people face. And so I really wanted to, um, after all the work that I'd done, I really wanted to figure out a solution to that and figure out ways that patients could connect with one another and also receive some of the emotional support that they needed. And so in 2016, I started the Center for Chronic Illness. And the goal of our organization is really um, to offer free, professionally-led emotional support for people who live with ongoing health challenges. And through that, um, through our programs, through our support groups, and our educational programs, the goal is to bring people who live with different types of illnesses together. Excuse me. When someone's diagnosed with a, a chronic illness or they're receiving care, Doctors, by their very nature, are going to be focused on treating the physical aspects of the disease. Are there common psychological and emotional challenges people with a, a chronic illness face? Absolutely. You know, for a lot of patients, there's um, some, you know, for some people, this is due to the nature of their disease, and it can be a symptom of the illness itself, but for some people, it's more of a reaction to it. But 
just the ongoing anxiety and depression that people face. You know, there's, with the anxiety, there's the sense of unknown, you know, what's going to happen to me? Am I ever going to feel better? Will the treatments work? Will there be treatments? Um, you know, and so just all of these unknowns, you know, can I live the quality of life I want to, you know, and just not knowing the answer to a lot of those questions and having the answer to those questions change on a daily basis um, can really leave a lot of uncertainty for folks. Um, so that, you know, that ongoing uncertainty, you know, there's obviously the initial, you know, normal anxiety that people feel when they don't have answers to those questions, but then kind of the ongoingness of it and the hopelessness that sometimes it can create um, can lead to more significant depression. Um, and in addition to the anxiety and depression, you know, folks with chronic illness have a harder time managing stress, you know, it's just a lot when there's something normal and, you know, stressful that comes up in your life, you know, those who are well can maybe handle that, it might not feel good, but they're able to kind of work through it, but for somebody who already has a lot of, you know, physical and mental health challenges going on, it just makes it that much harder, um, so the stress management is definitely a component of that as well, and then just the ongoing loss, you know, people are experiencing you know, different changes in their body. They might lose functioning either physically or cognitively. Um, for some people, they don't get those abilities back. And so being able to grieve those losses, which can be many, um, can definitely have an emotional impact. And then I guess the last thing I would say is that there, you know, there's a lot of kind of self-concepts, you know, and self-confidence emotions that come along with chronic illness, uh, you know, as far as, you know, being feeling ashamed of the way they are or feeling um, discomfort in their body in an emotional way, like they're not they're not physically in shape in the way they used to be. Um, for a lot of people, there's guilt, you know, I can't do the things I used to do. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a huge emotional impact on patients with chronic illness. And unfortunately, the medical community, they're they're trained to handle the physical aspects and the cognitive aspects and, you know, don't always have time to address the emotional ones. I know the center runs support groups for people with chronic illness, but you also have separate groups for people with rare chronic illness. Why the different groups? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the rare chronic illness folks, you know, kind of have a special place in my heart because I feel like, there are just so many more unique challenges that they have to face, you know, and I think that the need for the rare chronic illness group came out of seeing the impact of rare chronic illness. Um, back in 2017, we attended a rare disease fair. We had an info table there here in Seattle and, you know, just talked with so many folks who, you know, are, are one in, you know, hundreds of thousands of people with their illness. You know, they're even more isolated because they're not able to connect with other people who understand, who get it. You know, and also medically speaking, there are a lot of folks with rare chronic disease that do not have treatment options, you know, or there's not enough funding for research dollars. And so, you know, again, it's even more and more isolating, you know, less that they can do to manage their illness, you know, less control that they have over their symptoms and over their lives. And so um, we saw kind of a special need at the Center for Chronic Illness to be able to offer a place where rare patients can come and connect with other rare patients, you know, and while they might not have the same diagnosis, it gives them the opportunity to connect with people who understand what it's like to be rare. The center's approach is to have 
professional therapist lead group sessions. What's the value of having a professional therapist lead a group as opposed to having, say, peer-led groups? Absolutely. So there's definitely a place in the world for peer-led supports, and I think that that can be really important. But I think some of the benefits of having professionally-led support are that our facilitators are, you know, well-trained in managing group dynamics and understanding the psychology behind what's going on with individual members in the group and being able to, you know, be well-trained in setting boundaries and limits with group members. Um, So there's some benefit there. But they also have the specialized training of having worked with folks with different types of chronic illness, and so they understand kind of on a clinical level what people are going through and are able to, you know, teach in the groups, you know, things like mindfulness meditation and self-compassion strategies and things that help people feel more at ease in their bodies. Um, And again, I think often the peer-led groups, um, you know, lack some of that, but they also can become more social in nature just because there's not that professional training behind it. Um, although I would say there there are some peer support leaders that you know have been able to go through trainings out there, and those that's excellent. So. And what's the value of having group sessions as opposed to say individual counseling? Yeah, I mean, I think when I kind of first dreamed up the Center for Chronic Illness, my thought was, you know, there are a lot of individual counselors out there who specialize in this area and, you know, are kind of discovering more and more as we go along and people are hearing about us and connecting with us. Um, but I think the value in having them be support groups is that it's not just a professional relationship then that they're developing with one person that they maybe see once a week, once every two weeks, but instead they're building a sense of community for themselves and, you know, and for the people around them, you know, of people who understand what they're going through. I think that's the biggest thing I hear from folks with chronic illness is that people in the general community, people who are, you know, seemingly well, who don't struggle with health issues, you know, they don't understand what it's like to live with this day in and day out. They don't understand the ups and downs. They don't understand the fact that there can be good days and bad days. That they don't understand how somebody could feel bad on the inside if they don't look bad on the outside. You know, I think just in general as a, a population, it's hard for us to understand what we don't see. And so, again, when you get people in a room together that maybe don't look sick, you know, or don't look like they have an illness, but they start talking and having these kind of shared emotional experiences around it. It really creates a sense of community and and empowerment, I think, for them to be able to feel like they're not so alone. How how difficult is it for people with a a chronic illness to acknowledge their emotional difficulties with the disease? Is, Is there a tendency to try to ignore this aspect of their own health or just have the sense that there's nothing they can do about it? Yeah, I think it really depends on the person. You know, I think there are definitely people out there who are more emotionally intelligent than others or who have more self-awareness than others or who are more comfortable with kind of experiencing difficult emotions than others. But I do think that for a lot of folks, especially upon being newly diagnosed, that the tendency is to go into the first stage of grief, which is shock and denial and the sense of, this can't be happening to me, this is probably just a fluke, oh, I feel fine, nothing's wrong with me, you know, and just this sense of trying to convince oneself that 
what's happening is not the reality. And so I've seen many, many people go through this. And um, with the stages of grief, people don't always go, you know, from A to Z. It's, um, you know, they call them stages, but it's a lot of emotions that people can process at different, you know, times and, and points in time. But, yeah, oftentimes there is a sense for most people, I would say, that they want to deny that what's going on is happening, even for folks who are, are extremely in touch with their emotional side. Um, but I think with any loss, you know, it really depends on how people have coped with loss in the past. And so, you know, even though we typically think of grief and loss as something that happens when someone passes away, we lose a loved one, it's a really similar emotional process when we're losing parts of ourself or we're losing parts of our uh, aspects of our lives, like maybe somebody can't work anymore or they don't get to be in a relationship they wanted to be in because of their illness, you know. And so I think that there are a lot of similarities there. And, and yeah, it really just depends on how folks have kind of coped with these types of losses in the past and how they move forward. Um, I think it also depends on what kinds of uh, support they have, you know, familial, friend-wise, um, you know, if they're getting care, you know, proper medical care. I think all those things can make a huge difference in how somebody copes. What are the signs that someone is having a problem coping with the emotional strain of a, an illness and should consider seeking help? That's a really good question. You know, I think that... Oftentimes what we look at clinically is how much is this impacting someone's day-to-day -day life. You know, if you have a little bit of anxiety, you know, not sure what's going to come next, not sure if you're going to feel better tomorrow, you know, I think that that's pretty normal for a lot of people when they're experiencing an, a new illness. But I think if, you know, down the road somebody's still experiencing intense anxiety or symptoms of depression or if they you know, can't get up and go to work or can't engage with friends or, you know, if kind of the day-to-day -day quality of life is is decreasing, you know, or if they're not able to do the things that they were that were once enjoyable to them, I think that's a really good indicator that something's shifted and changed, you know, and that they should really consider talking to somebody professionally about it. How can they go about finding out and how much do we financial cost of getting therapy serve as a barrier for people getting the help they need? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I think it really varies by state. Um, you know, there, and it, I think the ch biggest challenges for folks, you know, and I've kind of learned about this as we start at the Center for Chronic Illness, is how do you find somebody who understands chronic illness? Because I think your average therapist while, you know, typically pretty well-trained, is not trained to understand ongoing health issues. And for a lot of folks who get diagnosed with a chronic illness, there's a period of time where their symptoms are looked at as stress or as anxiety or as depression. And so I think for a lot of folks, there's an uncertainty about, okay, I'm going to go see a therapist and they're just going to tell me it's all in my head. And so for, you know, if for trying to find a therapist, you know, you can always go through your insurance company if you have health insurance and try to find a good fit that way. Um, at the Center for Chronic Illness, we do have a list of therapists that are located in Washington State that specialize in this area. I'm actually hoping to develop a more comprehensive list for folks all around the states. 
Um, but yeah, it can be difficult. And the cost, you know, it just depends on somebody's insurance. If they are on a commercial insurance plan, they might have a deductible to meet first, or they might have co-pays or co-insurance and those kinds of costs, you know, sometimes aren't feasible for people if they already have high medical costs. Um, you know, there are therapists out there who do provide sliding fee skills, and so I would encourage people, you know, if they feel like they need that kind of support, to at least look into it and kind of do the legwork before deciding that they're not going to find anybody. Um, you know, and again, folks are always welcome to contact us at the Center for Chronic Illness because we do have some kind of tapped into some resources of, you know, communities of therapists. And otherwise, that might be able to be helpful to folks. Uh, it seems at times like the Internet has become one sprawling support group. How do patients use things like chat rooms or Facebook groups to get the support they need? And how might these differ from more traditional and structured groups like the ones at the center? Yeah, I think that, you know, the Internet has really widely opened up opportunities for people to connect. And so, you know, in the chronic illness world, again, where people can feel really isolated and as though people don't understand what they're going through, to be able to connect with people even online in a chat room or in a Facebook group um, is really valuable. You know, I think, it, again, it helps people just build a sense of community for themselves. And I have definitely worked with folks who utilize, you know, Facebook groups and things like that to get support, and it seems to be highly beneficial. Um, I think some of the main challenges with that are just, again, the lack of um, moderation in some of those groups, you know, from healthcare professionals or people who might be able to accurately answer questions. You know, I think the other challenge is that, you know, oftentimes you hear one person say, oh, you know, I have this diagnosis too. This is what worked for me. You know, and they might even use the word, this cured my illness, you know. And so I think the challenge with that is that it puts a lot of, um, I don't know, unnecessary pressure on patients to try those things, and then what if it doesn't work for them, and then they've, you know, they've failed, or their bodies failed them in yet another way, and so I think that is um, kind of the main concern, is just not always having accurate information in places like that on the internet, and I would caution people to always take whatever you read on the internet with a grain of salt and talk to your medical providers about, you know, what's right for you and what is accurate, and and that being said, you know, people might be seeing Western medicine doctors, people might be seeing alternative medicine doctors, and, you know, I think uh, people need to be doing what feels right for them and kind of listening to their gut and managing their disease, not just by what their doctors say, but by listening to their bodies as well. Now you also run sessions for caregivers. I, I think caregivers can often be so overwhelmed by the needs of the person they're caring for that they run the risk of neglecting their own needs. How do the issues caregivers face differ from those of patients? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, oftentimes with caregivers, you know, these are loved ones of people who are, are not well, you know, people with rare disease, people with chronic illness. And so, you know, I think the main challenge is that the caregivers have their own grieving process that they're going through and their own emotions about what's happening. And, you know, they might feel angry that their loved one can't help out around the house as much as they used to, you know, and the loved one might be sad about not being able to help out as much as they used to. And, you know, and that can cause some relationship dynamics that can become more complicated. 
And so I think for caregivers, you know, like you said, they don't often make the time to take care of themselves because they're too busy being caregivers. You know, they just don't have the capacity to do one more thing in their day. And so I think that's the main challenge is these folks definitely need support, but they, you know, it's figuring out how to get that support to them in a way that makes sense for them. I, I thought it was interesting to see that you also offer sessions on mindfulness and meditation Perhaps you can explain what mindfulness is and the therapeutic value of mindfulness and meditation for someone with chronic illness. Yeah, absolutely. So with mindfulness, so mindfulness is one form of meditation. So there are lots of different forms. Some of them are, are religiously focused. Some of them are more secular. Mindfulness tends to be the more secular approach. Um, but the idea of mindfulness is that you become aware of what's going on for you in the present moment. And so you might have a thought of like, oh, my stomach just grumbled, I'm hungry. Or, oh, shoot, I'm stressed about this meeting I've got later today. Or, oh, my goodness, I'm in so much pain right now. And so becoming aware of those things in the moment helps you figure out how to not emotionally react to them. You know, so for, again, for example, if we say, okay, I've got this stressful meeting later today, you could get all in a frenzy about, you know, preparing for the meeting and what's so-and-so going to think of me in the meeting and what if I say the wrong thing and, you know, but if you say, oh, yeah, I'm feeling stressed out and, oh, I just snapped at my partner because I'm worried about this meeting today. And you can have that awareness and that mindfulness to be able to say, okay, what do I need to do differently in the next two hours before that meeting? You know, do I need to sit at the computer and fret about what's to come? Or maybe I need to, you know, go outside and take a breath of fresh air. Or maybe I need to eat something. Maybe I haven't eaten all day and that's contributing to it. And so the power of mindfulness is just to be able to take care of ourselves better and have a different perspective, you know, and there's, in some of our groups that we're doing that are more focused on mindfulness, there's also a self-compassion component, which I think is really important for folks with chronic illness because it allows them to be kind to themselves, you know, not to beat themselves up because they can't do what they used to do or because they're not feeling well today, but they were fine yesterday, well, what's wrong with me now, you know, and instead you say, I'm at where I'm at today, and I'm able to, you know, still do X, Y, and Z, and maybe I can't do A, B, and C, but I'm able to be kind to myself, and maybe that will help me to feel better tomorrow, you know. And so there's just this kindness and compassion approach that just offers relief for people, and there's been a lot of research done, as you probably know, around mindfulness and self-compassion to be able to show the benefits of this. Um, particularly for with folks who struggle with chronic pain. Um, so, yes, we definitely wanted to incorporate that into some of our programs and be able to offer that to folks. You're based in Seattle, but one of the things you're doing to broaden the reach of the center is to create web-based support groups. Where are you in that effort, and, and how will that work? Absolutely. So, yeah, we're really actually excited uh, to be able to offer web-based support groups. We received some funding from one of our generous donors to be able to um, sign up for uh, a place called Support Groups Central, which is a web-based platform which will host our support groups. Um, and those folks over there are just fantastic, and they do this with a lot of other organizations. And so 
Um, yeah, they're actually working hard right now so that we can launch our first three web-based support groups in September. Um, and our hope is just to be able to connect even more people. You know, in the last couple of years since we've started the Center for Chronic Illness, we've heard from people all over the country who are saying, do you have a center in my area? Do you have supports for people like me? You know, do you, can you come over here? <laughs> and so, you know, it's been heartwarming and also, I don't know, discouraging that those kinds of supports aren't out there for folks and that people are still looking for ways to connect, you know, again, all over the country. And, it, and it's, you know, healthcare professionals are contacting us as well as patients. And so there's, there's definitely a need out there. And, our hope with the web-based support groups is that we'll be able to reach some of those folks who don't have service in their area to be able to get that support or maybe don't have the finances to be able to see a, a private therapist, but, you know, a support group might just start helping them feel more connected until they're able to get that, you know, one-on-one -on -one professional support. What advice would you offer someone with chronic illness uh, about how to get started on on finding help for their emotional and psychological issues? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think to start with, it depends on where they're located. You know, I think that if they notice that they're having a hard time coping with their illness, they're just kind of getting by day to day, they might talk with their medical providers. You know, some medical providers are more in touch with what goes on with patients emotionally than others, but I think always, you know, starting there is a good place. Um, you know, and the medical providers, you know, again, depending on the city and the type of illness somebody is experiencing, they might be able to refer the patient, you know, maybe there's a psychologist in the office or a social worker they can talk to. There might be, you know, a place in the community where they can send people or within that medical center. Um, you know, and I think first starting with referrals is a great idea because somebody usually knows somebody who knows somebody who can be helpful to them. Um, so I think that's a great start, and if folks, you know, run into any barriers there, I think they can always also, again, call their insurance company and, and just try to describe to them what's going on and if there's any support there. You know, if people don't feel comfortable doing that or if they run into, you know, kind of dead ends there, you know, I'd say start on the web, you know, start, look us up at the Center for Chronic Illness, you know, see if we have any programs that might be beneficial for them. You know, if they need a therapist, again, they're always welcome to ask us and we can see if we can tap into our networks and try to find folks for them to see. Um, we do have a number of therapists who do work with people on the web, um, so that could also always be an option. Allison Fine, founder and executive director of the nonprofit Center for Chronic Illness. Allison, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Daniel. We really appreciate it. That was great. Uh, I'll pop. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.